0: You're seeing some crazy stuff like state versus federal, mm-hmm. local versus local state, federal stuff that's rolling out right now in front of our eyes that I believe will result in changes in, in our government structure going forward. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to another episode of Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky. I hope you're all doing well. Hope you're enjoying Netflix, good books, maybe some quality time with the family, and you're wearing a mask. This episode is a continuation of my conversation with Dahlia Schweitzer. Rudy Salo is the co-host. And if you're interested in Dahlia's book, which I highly recommend, it's called Going Viral. Just some quick housekeeping. There is a Good in the Details Facebook page. Please like it. If you're enjoying the content of the show, please give it a rating or review. That really helps the show get a broader audience. Share the episode, any episodes you like. If you have any comments, any feedback, any ideas, get in touch at goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com or send me a message on Instagram or you can tweet me at dolsky. That all works. Okay, now here's the interview with Dahlia.
0: What I'm worried about, another thing that I'm worried about is I'm obviously worrying about the other and how this virus is uh, weaponizing um, hatred of the other. But the other thing that I I worry a lot about, and I've been seeing some evidence of this online, is um, religious fanatics. I, I do think religious fanatics are, are probably happy about this. I think that they do, they are going to use this as a tool against homosexuality, against anything that, that they believe is anti-Christ, anything that they believe is, you know, against God's word and this is punishment. And, you know, but frankly, a lot of them want the end of days. A lot of them think that the plague of locusts that's hitting Africa and the Middle East right now and everything that's happening, I think there's some serious fanatics addicts out there that are secretly happy happy that this is happening because it's just more evidence of oh no no, no. christ is around the corner Do you, are you guys worried about that too oh, christ is around the corner
1: oh my I, god that is scary I,
2: I only agree with you halfway okay uh, because i feel like we're gonna like i think maybe now we're at the moment where we're at that sort of like the peak sweet spot for that but then i think as people keep dying I'm not, sh- like, I'm quite curious to see, like, all those churches that insisted on having services on Easter, you know, what's going to happen in two weeks? Is there going to be, like, this massive fallout with, like, corona cases? Just, you know, I mean, you saw what like, with um, Mardi Gras in New Orleans, right? Yeah. Where there was just, like, mm-hmm. this huge spike as a result of Mardi Gras, and, like, all these people who insisted on going to church and who were, like, Jesus is going to protect me, it's, like, in two weeks, are those numbers going to hit? And then it's going to be, like, oh but jesus didn't protect you and then will there be a backlash against you know everything that you were saying Ah, uh, you know, that's
0: of, a good that's a good point i that's very very interesting oh, i, man. I Can you I,
1: imagine you go I to church saying that. jesus will protect me and then you get covid I and, <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry it's not funny no, no, it's funny it's, i'm sorry but it's, it's it's
2: it's crazy i mean all these states that have the stay-at-home order asterisk unless you go to church Right? Because apparently church is this like safe, virus free space. But also, just to go back to the homosexuality thing, um, the health minister in Israel initially yes. said that, you know, coronavirus was because of homosexuality. And now he and his wife have it. Yep. Imagine, so.
0: imagine the mind f that guy's going through.
1: Right I mean, he's got to be,
0: he's got to be questioning a lot of things. You know, any weird thought he had previously, he he's definitely staying up at night thinking about that. I should not be laughing about this. I'm not laughing about anybody getting coronavirus. Although I do think that when he said that, I, I, it was extremely offensive. And hey, maybe there is a guy because he got covid and uh, maybe this is a way to prove up that this can affect anybody you know
2: and you, you read about um liberty university jerry falwell's institution yeah. where he insisted on opening up the school because he was like everything's gonna be fine and he opened up the school and then it was like corona was everywhere and now they're getting sued from all these different parents and it's like so i don't know I, it might it might go through the other side but then there's a backlash against all these religious um, kind of institutions. Now from well, your
0: mouth to God's ears, Dahlia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're in territory. There was, a, there was an article in The Atlantic that talked about how this is revealing a political divide that who is paying attention to the orders or how somebody is responding to this is actually revealing their politics as well. Yeah. So that's also just a really creepy thing. It just drives me absolutely insane that this is not a political issue. It's not a religious issue. This is just a science thing. This is how viruses work. Just a basic understanding. Well, I mean, one of the things is that some people were on far, this is far fringe right, were saying that this was a conspiracy by the left and the media, that all of a sudden the numbers just shot up. They were really high. Therefore, the media just wants to take Trump down. They don't want him to be reelected. And I'm just thinking, my God, they don't understand how a virus works.
0: Well, they don't believe in science. I mean, it's remember. just. Right. There's a lot of extremely on the right religious groups that still believe that um, they're actually the true Israelites, that the white Anglo-Saxon man is the the 12th, uh, is the missing 12th tribe of Israel. And they have these and that they descended from Adam and Eve and they have these ideas of coming all the way down. I mean, if you'd, you'd peel away a little bit of the onion on the crazy that's in this country, you'll be shocked about what's out there. Cause I have, and I, I've done it for a lot of the projects that I've worked on and the, the screenplays and the books and all that other type of stuff. Cause I'm fascinated by these, you know, people call them fringe groups, but they're, they're really not that fringe. I mean, there's a lot more of them in our society than we, than we think about. And I, I even saw a report a, a couple of days ago of white supremacists saying, "Hey, if you get coronavirus, uh, go sneeze on the cops, go sneeze on black people, go sneeze on Jews, go go use this as a weapon against those people." I mean, so like even the ones that that see that coronavirus I- is real, they want to take it and weaponize it. I mean, the world is filled with crazies. I hate to admit it. But no,
2: it I is. I even I wrote a blog post about that about the the white supremacists who want to like weaponize corona. Um, yes. It's the whole thing is, I mean, are just the layers of insanity is mind blowing.
0: You know, it's funny. I do want to just kind of piggyback on what Gwen was saying about how the adherence to the uh, to the, to the state orders is really showing your your uh, political sway. We, uh, if you consider yourself a liberal, right? Uh, a lot of people think, oh, those liberals, they don't follow laws. They're a bunch of non-law abiding citizens. They're a bunch of hippies that don't like law and order or society. Well, I think it's the liberals that are socially distancing. I think they're the ones that are following the law and order in order to keep us alive. It's people yeah. on, on the right that, on the extreme right, that are, are the ones kind of flouting this. And it does show your point, Gwen, of there is this political divide, you know. And unfortunately, uh, Americans focus on the individual. I know that's a great thing about our country. I love that about our country. I mean, I think I'm an individual, uh, and I I love individualism. In cases like this, when it can affect mass amounts of other people, there are times when you don't focus on the individual. You focus on the community, and you focus on what's better for, for everyone rather than yourself, and I do feel... That people that live in California, people that live in New York, people that are in the blue states are showing that they care about their fellow man a lot more. That's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, in a country that's based on freedom, freedom from a central government and on individualism, what do you do when we're all in the exact same boat when it comes to getting this virus all of a sudden we have to work as a team as a unit instead of being an individual and have the government come in and take take the reins on that so you have this clash mm-hmm. and it goes back to what
2: you were asking before about the how the virus the outbreak creates a community you know how it can also bring people together and i definitely see that in my neighborhood i mean Like on the Nextdoor app, you know, someone will post, uh, they, they need someone to get groceries for them. And it's like 15 people will comment within like the next two minutes and be like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. There was a really cute post where uh, someone's husband had a fever, but they weren't sure how high. And so obviously they're like no thermometers anywhere. And so they were saying, you does anybody have a thermometer that we could borrow? Cause we just don't know if his temperature is high enough, that we should go to the hospital or not. And so someone put their thermometer in an Uber and sent it over to this woman so that she could test her husband's temperature. And then there was like another post where this woman who is now teaching online for the first time ever uh, had to digitize these files on a CD-ROM and like, you know, had no idea how to do that. And so someone said like, you know, well, if you drop it off in my building, um, I will digitize it for you and then you can pick it up again in half an hour, you know, all free of charge, you know, just like like that kind of goodwill is just heartwarming.
0: Mm -hmm. Amen. It's in these times of, of madness and pandemics that uh the truly your true colors come out, um, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. And I think that this, this, pr- the vast majority of us, I don't want to turn this in the red, blue Democrat, the Republican, liberal, non-liberal, the vast majority of us are good people who are going to, and, and are helping each other out. There's going to be, there's way more good stories that are going to come out of this, or, or there'll be untold stories about greatness that don't need to be told. than, than all of these horrible stories that are out there, I don't oh, want right. to overly mm-hmm. focus on the, on the negative, but, um, I'm just hoping we can get out of this. I'm fearful. I'm, I don't think, and I said this on the show that we did a couple of weeks ago, Gwen, whatever normal was pre COVID-19, I don't think there ever will be uh, Mm -hmm. that normal ever again. Even if we get a vaccine, I think there's going to be fundamental changes starting with something as simple as, you know, the bidet being a, uh, a oh huge my god,
1: Rudy! American society,
0: <laughs> I, and I think and I think people are and I think people are going to stockpile. I mean, I, I do think the preparation. You know, these come on the doomsday preppers. Whenever you watch those shows, you think of those people as crazy. I think everyone's going to change now. I think that we are going to be prepared for the next one a lot better, and and maybe it's for the better. You know, I, I, there, there are going to be major changes out of this. Some businesses are going to go away. Some business, some, there'll be some new businesses that come out of this. I think um, there'll
1: be new businesses. I mean, what we're using right now is Zoom. That's going to be, th- there's probably going to be more things and more sophisticated ways to, I'm sorry, Zoom. There'll probably be <laughs> more things coming up like this, but I did learn. So I've been wondering why toilet paper has been hoarded because I just never pictured that in an apocalypse that people would go for toilet paper. But uh, Chris right. Hayes on his show, he had a Simple explanation for it. It's because people are at home. So for eight to 10 hours of the day, you're normally away. So you're using other people's toilet paper, like at work or whatnot. So the reason why people are getting toilet paper is because they are no longer using toilet paper anywhere else. I see you're thinking right. about this, <laughs>
0: Damn, I, just, I, just, I, st- I the, the whole toilet paper thing is still shocking to me. I'm just.
1: No, I think, I think that's part of it for
2: sure. Um, and then there's also the element of control. So it's like when there are ninety-nine things happening in the world that you can't control, but you can control this one thing. You are going to focus (laughs) on that one thing. So it's like the world may be going to hell, but I have twenty rolls of toilet paper in the bathroom. So it's like that's the one thing I can control. So I think it's a combination of those two things. And obviously, toilet paper doesn't go bad, so it's like
1: you know it's easy to stock up. That's
0: a good point. Dahlia, did you
1: did you ever see toilet paper being a thing? Because I had no idea this was going to be a thing. No. And also, people,
2: <laughs> um, toilet paper is, is like just crazy to me. Because again, it's like, well, if we're stuck at home and you're out of toilet paper, you can always, you know, you can jump in the shower. Like, this is right. like a life and death situation. <laughs> right. Um, but also, like, all the people stocking up on bottled water when it's like, you know, all these people keep coming out and saying, like, the water's not going to get turned off. You're going to be okay. And I have a friend who just got like a 55 gallon drum of water. And it's like, I they were okay on the waterfront.
0: Okay, um, so, so lessons from this pandemic. Um, what should be the things that, that you need to stockpile on? I say number one is White Claw, because when I went to the store after they shut everything down, White Claw was done. I mean, you can't find White Claw anywhere. So next time a pandemic happens, grab the White Claw. What, what have you guys learned that you need to grab?
2: Um, I feel vindicated in the fact that I had a little stockpile of cleaning products for the home.
0: Okay. Okay. Cleaning products. Definitely. What about you, Gwen?
1: I still haven't because I've been on maternity leave. So I haven't been out in the world and seeing all of the madness. I don't have an answer. Sorry.
0: So did you, oh, okay. Pasta,
1: no, pasta. always have lots of pasta.
0: Pasta is huge. Well, that's Um, something.
1: Well, because I was getting ready to be at home for a while and not be able to run errands.
0: Yeah. So I had actually stocked
1: up on some stuff, but something like just staples. Before things went crazy, I had, I remember I bought some things. I didn't get pasta, but brown rice. Because if you have rice, I mean, you can make things forever. But I'm using Amazon a lot now. And Amazon Mm -hmm. is running into some interesting problems because. You have people in the warehouses that want to, you know, unionize or not get sick. And what kinds of things should they be, if they're risking their life, what kinds of things should they be stalking to run around and make sure everybody gets in the mail? Like, should that be monitored?
0: I'm fearful that if this stay-at-home order continues to go, uh, this super hardcore draconian one goes on for a number of couple of months uh, I mean, grocery store workers are getting sick and there's meat packing. There's a, South Dakota's their governor is this hardcore libertarian who, who has refused to do a stay at home order. And South Dakota has one of the highest incidences of a coronavirus virus outbreak in the entire nation. And there's an, a big, huge pork packing plant there that is completely shut down because all their employees are sick. And all the meat packing that comes out of South Dakota is going to affect, it's going to have a ripple effect of all the meat um, distribution throughout the entire country. So, Soon enough um, we're, Amazon is okay for right now, the grocery stores are okay for right now, but soon enough there 's going to be stuff that 's not going to be there and if we 're right. still at these stay at home orders and 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 there 's not some kind of vaccine there's some kind of treatment soon, I think the worst is still yet to come. like I really believe that things need to, if you haven 't stocked up yet on stuff because oh we're, you know you 're thinking we 're getting towards the end of this thing we 're going to be out of this soon do not have that attitude. That is a very dangerous attitude. Assume that we're going to be here for another six months, prepare for that, and hope that we don't. That's my opinion. I really am that worried about this. Well, and if we- there's no
1: vaccine, then there's no, there's no way. It's still so highly contagious. So without a vaccine, even if the numbers go down, everybody's still vulnerable. Correct. No, as soon as you walk out of the house,
2: it's just going to spike right back up again.
0: So, eighteen months. Eighteen months is what they say the earliest we'll get a vaccine. If you're not prepared to live in your house for eighteen months, then uh, then you know I I I don't know. You know I'm I'm I don't know what's going to happen. Dolly, what's going to be part two of your book called? Your last one was called "Going Viral: Zombies, Viruses, and the End of the World." Is it going to be? called what's it really like to live at the end of the world or what's 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 part two what is it i'm fascinated you got to be writing part two right now
2: um it's actually funny because i'm trying to finish the book that i was working on prior to all the corona um which is haunted houses and it's kind of hard to get in the zone because it does feel a little bit out of touch with what's happening i mean you know it's, it's evergreen you know, it's like haunted houses. It's like, it's, it's still relevant. But um, it's funny because I started putting together a proposal for an article. It's titled, It Gets Worse. <laughs>
1: it's awesome.
0: Oh, fucking awesome. That's really, um, that's great.
2: So I don't know. I, don't, I, have a, um, I have a friend who's interested in co-authoring a book that kind of looks at Corona. So it would be kind of like a mini, like a mini case study follow-up to going
0: viral. You got to do it you have to do it my obsession with dystopian writing and uh, in, in in the screenplays and the in write- anything that i've ever written is well what what is our when when either the virus is under control or parts of the world are wiped out or things have really changed what does our what does our new government look like what does our life look like what are the what, what's the daily life of the individuals that live in that in that new world. And I'm not talking, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't believe in zombies. I don't believe in that whole world. I am I'm, I'm fascinated in what's the, what's that next, you know, I, I like to call it in all of, in every writing that I have, I have this new country, it's called the new United States. What's the new United States going to look like in that next uh, post world and I'm fascinated by government structure you're seeing some crazy stuff like state versus federal Mm -hmm. local versus local state federal stuff that's that's rolling out right now in front of our eyes that I believe will result in changes in, in our government structure going forward I really believe in that and and I'm curious to hear if you know if that's something you guys might touch upon in this corollary supplement to your book
2: yeah so the the current working title is death goes viral Uh, the coronavirus pandemic and visual trauma in popular culture but what one of the things one of the main things that i'm looking at is yeah that it's it's so much worse than any of these outbreak like if you if you were pitching a movie to hollywood uh in you know 2015 and you were like, okay, there's going to be this like global outbreak and the president's going to refuse to take it seriously and the president's going to hold press conferences with the CEO of MyPillow and people are going to refuse to like stay home and follow the rules of social distancing and states are going to try to buy ventilators and the, the federal government is going to like, basically steal them um, and the federal government is going to give like 170 broken ventilators to California. I mean, any Hollywood executive would be like, this. that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, it's, like, that's, you know, like, it's, it's too extreme. Um, and so I think you're absolutely right. I think that one of the changes that's going to come out of this is going to have to do, even just looking at what's happening right now with states versus the federal government. Yeah. You know, and that, like, in the past, there was a precedent that we should have a federal government issue a national response to a national emergency. And it's like, and then, you know, Trump was saying, well, no, of course not. It's not my job. It's, it's the state's job. Right. And then now he's saying, well, he actually does have the final word over the state. So it's like, and, you know, like you have, um, you know, like New York and Connecticut and New Jersey are like banding together. So I think there's there's at least going to be something really interesting happening Based on like federal power versus state power,
0: my obsession with that is as an attorney and as a local government attorney. Um, I I am fascinated by the um federalism, federal you know, the power our constitution is broken down and the powers of the federal government, the powers of the states, and the states, the local, and that's what I do on a daily basis for my work. And I, this stuff's going to change. I mean, our laws, our constitution, our fabric is going to change whether or not it's rewritten the way we act going forward. I mean, the fact that. Governor Gavin Newsom used the term nation state the power of California as a nation state was huge huge and people have been writing about that and I was like yep this is what I'm talking about this is the type of stuff that's going to change things for generations
1: a couple things are on my mind is that i've had this idea about about morality and about ethics that a lot of it is tied to health and that when somebody's doing something unhealthy that We have a tend like when you think about something that's inherently wrong. Generally, there's some sort of a harm that is done, or a self harm, or something. We'll say that's wrong. So we use these ethical terms to describe that. And when you look at something like what happened in Florida with all the spring breakers, and then the the way that the governor responded, that we had not just just uh, our response to it was also that's an immoral way to be but also just in terms of freedoms and in terms of the government that i don't know rudy you can tell me this that generally speak that no freedoms are absolute that you have freedoms but the only time that the government can step in and restrict a freedom is if they and i think the burden of proof is on them if they can prove that that is going to harm other people so for example you have freedom of speech but it's not absolute if you're gonna yell fire in a crowded theater the government has the right then to restrict it because they can prove that it causes greater harm than for you to exercise that freedom. So oh, now right. here when it comes right. to yeah. like vaccine, I'm right, thank you. So when it comes to vaccines and, um, and all of that stuff, it'll be interesting now. I don't know if it'll be rewritten because it'll still be that same idea. You have the freedom, but it's not absolute. The government has the right to step in and restrict your freedom if they can prove that that will cause a greater harm. It's just that it's crazy because we're talking about a pandemic now. So the freedom now is like, walking around with a mask on your face. You know, like we wouldn't normally, like the government shouldn't be telling you how to dress or things like that. Although I guess oh, you keep state-
0: well, if you go, If you go study the uh, 1918 flu pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic, actually the city of San Francisco, it's fascinating. City of San Francisco, again, 100 years later, the um, city of San Francisco was the first city to make masks mandatory by ordinance back in 1918. It started there in San Francisco. And who was no. the first city to put in an emergency order that is really took the virus very seriously? It was the city of San Francisco once again. You know, the whole mm-hmm. country makes fun of San Francisco, all oh, the homeless problem and all the crazy liberals, all this. Uh, you, you gotta take your hats off to them. They are very future focused. They take things very seriously. Sometimes people say too seriously. It doesn't matter. You you gotta you gotta tip your hats off to them. What'll be really interesting, another very interesting question and it goes to your point, Gwen, is do you have the freedom to not get the vaccine? What is what how hardcore are the anti-vaxxers going to be Against this vaccine, like what? What's that battleground going to be on a going forward basis, and how they not t- taking the vaccine are putting other people at risk, just like the other vaccines that they don't want to take, like measles and everything with their kids and everything. Mm-hmm. That's going to be another one of the great big battlegrounds that comes out of this, in my opinion.
2: Hmm. Well, you or know, will they change their tune? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think so.
0: I don't think those people can change their tune. They can never, they, don't, they can never admit that they're wrong about anything because they can come up with anything to support their argument you know I I wouldn't be surprised and this is going to sound crazy because coronaviruses came from bats I bet you these people are going to think oh if I take the vaccine this is a way for me to become a vampire bat I swear to god you're going to hear something crazy like that well I I guarantee it I guarantee it
1: well another thing that strikes me and this has to do with your work Dahlia is that just how important it is to study You know, this film history about how taking a look at film can give us this insight of how to deal with today. So, a lot of times, you know, people, when we talk about what's important in education or what to study or this or that, there's just a few areas of study that really get there's like this hierarchy and whatnot. And then in times like this, it seems like how important film is or what kind of an insight that can give into our daily lives. And that not only that, but even, you know, Rudy, we've talked about comedy, but how people are turning to entertainers right now in order to relieve us of the stress that's going on. But, but at any rate, I think something that's really striking is how studying these films gives us a window into the politics of today. I mean, again, this idea of other, I'm wondering if as soon as it started to talk about, you know, Chinese virus and this and that, if you were just thinking, oh my God, here it is.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I, um, I'm going to be teaching uh, a section of my Going Viral course in the fall. And I basically, like, as soon as this started, I made the folder for Corona. And I've just been, like, putting everything in there, you know, emails and tweets and articles and all this stuff. Because I want to, I, I, before it even got this bad, I knew I wanted to make it kind of like a case study. Because it literally is everything that I sketch out in the book. Playing out in real time and I've even had um I've even had some former students write to me and just say like this is so wild because this is everything we learned in class is happening in front of us um and one of my former students wrote that like his girlfriend is frequently annoyed at him because he's always predicting sort of like what what the next step is mm-hmm. and she's like how do you know and he's like well I read this book
0: um, <laughs> and let me let me I give think, the double yeah. the double plug to your book here. I mean, this, I mean, what, what I took and put into my Forbes article, um, Dahlia, is just it's just so perfect. This is this is where the five ways COVID could it. affect public transportation. Uh, I put in global in- infrastructure development. I wrote right there. In the book Going Viral, Zombies, Viruses, and the End of the World, Dahlia Schweitzer notes that progress has made us sick the proliferation of roads, airports, and other critical infrastructure has made us more globally connected and susceptible to being affected by events happening on the other side of the world. Put another way, our advancements in infrastructure not only provide us with the means we need to travel and deliver goods throughout the world, it also exposes us to diseases like COVID-19 that originate elsewhere. And then I go on to say critical, critical infrastructure in developing countries is often financed, constructed, operated, and maintained using public-private partnerships. In the post-COVID-19 world, will private companies think twice about participating in P3s if future outbreaks could cause disruption to the development and operation of such P3s due to fears of of developing abroad? And the the implications of that is, well, here we're going out, we're helping the, the developing world develop because we're putting private money in there. What's gonna happen after COVID-19? Are we gonna just let the rest of the world not develop? I mean, the ramifications of it are huge. And just yeah. the, the, what you had written in, in the book, I don't know, I loved it. It was just great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to be proven right about these things.
1: Let's see, well, Dahlia, so are you gonna be staying in New York? Or are you, was that a visit to be teaching the class or no? Or is that your
0: home no, base? No,
2: no, I, I moved here um, in August. Yeah, okay.
0: Right after we did our podcast, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I got a a teaching position at FIT.
1: Oh, it's Um, okay, all right. For some reason, I'm saying it was a visiting.
0: By by the way, Dolly, yes, your other book, The LA Private Eyes, is excellent too. Just wanted to say that. I know, I know we're focusing on the the, crazy end of the world stuff, but that book was very, very, very good.
2: I cannot wait until the Haunted House book is done, and then you can.
0: We can read will,
1: and discuss that one.
0: I will plug <laughs> that one as well. I will plug anything that you write.
1: Okay, Dahlia. Well, any final thoughts about uh, about the virus or about COVID nineteen?
2: I think just going back to what you were saying, where it's like I think we have sort of like this cultural hierarchy of like, you know, what are what are the, the things that are important to learn, you know, and you have sort of like, you know, maybe classical literature and all this stuff. And I I feel like for a lot of people they don't think of film as being necessarily educational unless it's, you know, it's documentary or whatever, or you're specifically learning film studies. And for me, what's most interesting about film and television is when you start thinking about it as these little time capsules, right? It's like these little kind mm-hmm. of microcosms that reflect things that are happening in real life. And that I think is what's so fascinating about what's happening right now is we're, again, we're seeing that play out in real time. And it's like for all these people who were like, how could we have seen this coming? And it's like, well, there's a, you know, there's a movie that came out in 2011 called Contagion. Have you heard of it? Um, and so it's like, this has been in the works for a while. Um, and so you really shouldn't be surprised. And so I think, you know, Hollywood is a lot more kind of educational, although maybe not in ways that people necessarily think of, you know, first.
1: No, it's it's so important. I mean, it it really shows the need for a humanities background That um, that I think, I think since I'm in, I mean, since I'm an academia or I'm in education, I see that there is this disingenuous um, separation of studies as though one had nothing to do with the other. And your it. book, what you've put together is really insightful. It puts together culture. It puts together film. It puts together politics, um, history, history. And it just shows how all of these things are are interwoven and they give us a much richer and now important understanding of how the world is going. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Can I ask you guys a really quick hey. question? Sorry, to, I know we were wrapping up there, but you guys are both educators. Right now we're on Zoom. I'm teaching a course on Zoom at Chapman University. Dahlia, I don't know if you're teaching on Zoom. Gwen, God willing, you won't be teaching on Zoom. Do you, do you guys fear that um, if the future is everything that's on Zoom, that, that's, that that will have a negative impact on education because you're not in front of your students? you Maybe don't have that personal connection? Or do you think it's great because you can reach a wider audience? I'm curious because you guys are truly professional educators.
2: I am grateful that I can do what I do online and all okay. my classes have moved online. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I cannot wait to be back in the classroom. Oh, and I know, okay. I know that, that many of my students were, you know, I mean, they, obviously they understand why these decisions were made, but many of my students were really disappointed uh, when there, there was this shift online because okay. I think I can do it. You know, and yes, it can be nice, you know, because you can reach, you know, people in different demographics and, you know, um, you know, different geographical areas and stuff like that. But there's something that just comes like the magic of being in the classroom and just being together and there's like a synergy. Uh, and so I prefer that a hundred times over.
1: Yeah, I think the classroom is important. I think that for so many areas of our life where technology is is essential and can allow for so much progress i think learning and teaching that those two things that they're a personal experience and i think the universities have moved in such a way where everything we're, we're teaching we're treating students like products mm-hmm. or or um and the classroom experience and i still think that there's a reason why the verbs are different to teach and to learn that they're not interchangeable like i can't learn you mm-hmm. And it's because it's based on a relationship and the interaction that I think is important in a classroom, because you can still have an excellent learning experience without all of the technology, all the—I I don't know—you don't, don't need anything. Yeah, you don't. You don't need anything. And there's there's something about it where, as opposed to a lot of other things in our life where things are transactional, or um, there's a clear goal or there's a product, something with teaching that it's not. And the technology will, it can enhance a classroom experience, but it can't replace it.
2: No. And I also feel that the, the most effective learning happens between students. So I'm yeah, just- Yeah, that's
1: part of it. Yeah.
2: I'm facilitator, you know? And so when I'm teaching online, it's very much this sort of like one-way street, you know, whereas when we're in the classroom, there's a lot more back and forth, which works yeah. very effectively for sort of how I teach. And again, because I don't just- I mean, I hate kind of droning on and on and on. You know, it's like I like the back and forth, and I like you know hearing students' feedback, and that they learn from that kind of interactivity, and it's really limited online.
0: Yeah, learning mm-hmm. through dialogue, right? Learning, yeah. you know, because the way one where way, the way one student processes what you just said to them and then puts it out there um, might be and kind of repeats it or, or, or adds their own little spin to it might help exactly. another student understand it a little bit better.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
0: I agree with you guys. I miss teaching in, in front of students. That's the best way for me to learn. I've taken years and years of online classes, but nothing replaces the classroom. I hope COVID-19 does not lead to, you know, the, the downfall of the American education system. I, re- I really hope that that's not going to be something that results from it. I don't know. I feel
2: like everyone, everyone can't wait to be back in school.
0: Yeah. I hope you know, so. from I hope, I second
2: hope so. graders to college students.
1: I will say I did get a ticket, you know, we won't really discuss that, but traffic school was online and I'm really grateful for that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Especially comedy traffic school, comedy traffic school is the best. Yeah, it's I the best. It school. truly yeah. is the best. God willing, comedy traffic school will survive COVID nineteen. I'm I'm for <laughs> I'm for that one hundred percent.
1: But that that would be the difference because traffic school is just a matter of here are these things you need to memorize. You need to prove that you know it, and that's it. As opposed to in the classroom, like I would imagine with film studies, maybe it could be with law. Um, But I know that philosophy is an exchange of ideas, and you do a lot of this So it's. It's not the same thing that can be filled out on a Scantron. Like here's, you know, exactly. you need to know here's Socrates, here's the day that he lived, here's what he wrote. And then when he died, <laughs> it won't work. But traffic school, we'll keep that online.
0: It's a good idea. <laughs> it's <a> great idea. <laughs> great idea.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Dahlia. Stay safe. Sure. Thanks, Anytime. Dahlia. Stay
0: safe. Stay in stay in touch too. And Absolutely. Really can't wait to really please let us know when when this addendum comes out or this part 2 or whatever it is. We can't wait to read it, seriously.
2: Oh yeah, I'll send I'll send you the link to the NBC news piece. Perfect. Please do.
0: Please do. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, I'll I'll keep you updated.
0: Stay safe.
1: Okay. Thank take, you. take
0: care, Dalia. Bye. <laughs> For sure. Bye. Cheers.
1: Thank you so much for listening and everyone, thank you so much for the support for the show. It's been a lot of fun. Rudy Salo, thank you so much for being an awesome co-host. And thank you, Dolly Schweitzer, for doing the show again. Now at the end of the last pod, I said that we'd do some shout outs. I just want to think about our teachers right now, our fitness trainers, our gyms, the people who keep us healthy in mind and body. So first thank you goes to New Orleans Athletic Club. Another thank you goes to Rosary High School. The faculty did a fantastic YouTube video of the teachers just telling their students how much they miss them. It's amazing, and Rosary High School's in Fullerton. That's my alma mater. I watched the video twice. It's kind of a tearjerker for me because maybe because I'm also a teacher and I'm missing my students and I miss being in the classroom. We also have a thank you to Dr. Robert Wilson, who is a professor of jazz at the University of Houston. And we also have a shout out for Zadie's uncle, Drone Hatcher at LA Fitness, and he also does independent training. And I want to give a shout out to PJ, who does Instagram live at six o'clock. He does a yoga session. Highly recommend you check it out. His Instagram handle is at PJSACE. Now, upcoming episodes, we're gonna to have Tom Keith back. You might remember him from the discussion of toxic masculinity. We'll be Rudy and I will chat with him about his film Bullied. And Jeff Cortez is gonna be back to talk about corruption in the time of coronavirus. And if you are interested in joining the book club, I've added another book. Go to patreon.com/slash good is in the details. And again, thank you for all of the support. When I asked for some questions, when I asked for shout-outs for teachers, I got some really sweet responses from former students saying that they are thankful for me. And I thank you. That was, it was very, very kind. Okay, so everyone, stay safe, stay inside, and stop hoarding the toilet paper. Bye.